How are you guys doing today? Really? Every time, every time. I just feel like you guys give me the golf clap or something, you know? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, my name is Shayla. I am actually Pastor TJ's wife, and he just needed a week off. I mean, sometimes a brother just needs a week off. And so I said, you know what, I will step in this weekend and help you out. So I'm excited to get to share with you guys today. Um, but before that, let me just tell you, TJ and I are going on a cruise in a few weeks, and I'm like super pumped about cruise time, vacation, all of those things. But you know what, when you go on a cruise, how many of you realize you have to get in a bathing suit? And TJ's a little nervous about getting in a bathing suit. And so, you know, he was always talking to me all the time, constant conversation in our house, liposuction. TJ asks me all the time, Shayla, do you know a good place I can go to get liposuction? And I'm like, are you serious, dude? I mean, it comes up constantly. And so this week, I, he, he came to me again and said, hey, Shayla, this liposuction thing. And I said, TJ, let me tell you something. I actually found a place this week. All you have to do is pay $10 a month. It's called UFIT. You go, you use their equipment, and the fat begins to come off. Some of you guys could use that liposuction too. Let me tell you, I know you ate a donut on your way in or something, you know. Some of you guys eating one right now. We could all use some liposuction. But anyways, we actually have a gym in, in our garage, and so TJ's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. I got two weeks to my cruise, so I'm just going to pedal to the metal morning, night workout. He does CrossFit stuff in our gym, and so he's out there working, working, working hard, and I decided I need to jump in on this somehow. And, you know, it's like my first week back after really not working out for probably like a year, and I made a mistake this week. I did leg day on Friday. And leg day on Friday means that two days later, you are hurting. And so if I'm walking kind of funny, or if I like accidentally trip over something and like lose the, the function of my legs, please just stand up and clap. Good job, Shayla, good job. But I'm excited about going on the cruise. But hey, I'm excited about this series that we've been in called The Church That God Sees. And in this series, we've been talking about the church that God sees is actually a church where you and I are the church. I mean, we come into a building and we worship together and we hear a message and all of those different things. But the reality is, is you and I as individuals are the function of the church. And in the church God sees, there's some different things that we as individuals need to embody in our life in order to be the church that God sees for us to be both as individuals and both as a corporate church. And so we've been kind of breaking it down in some different values that we have at church and some different things that we feel like we should embody as individuals. And I don't know about you guys, but there's some things in my life that are a consistent struggle. And if you guys are anything like me, you have struggles in your life. Some of us struggle with depression, you know, that tape that plays over and over and over again in our head that kind of tells us that we're not good enough or we can't get up off the couch and it's just this negative voice that just continues to plague us. You know, some of us have lack of relationships in our life. 
No matter where we go, we're like, man, I just can't make any meaningful relationships. And how many of you know, as an adult, it's hard to make relationships. I don't know, everybody just be so busy or something. You know, we just get to going in life and it's hard to make meaningful relationships. Some of us, we lack purpose. We go throughout life and we're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. We feel worthless and meaningless and all of these, and there are these things that constantly plague all of us. There's something that we all struggle with or deal with, and today, I actually have the key to all of those problems and all of those issues. And so my hope for you today is that you'll lean in and that you'll listen close to a couple things that can help remedy all of that in your life. And it's actually some very simple principles and some very simple keys. And today we're going to start off the message in Galatians 5. And we're going to start in verse 13. It says this. It says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to live a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want and then destroy your freedom. Ooh. I don't know about you guys, but when I think sometimes of freedom or of words, I think about movies, like a movie reel just starts playing in my head. So when I saw that word freedom, what did I think of? Part. You can take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. Yeah, you guys are real free people. I can tell this morning. But freedom. This verse basically is saying here, listen, God has called you to live a free life. He has given you this freedom. He has allowed you to have this freedom in your life that you don't have to be bondage to all of these different things that constantly plague our mind and our life and our emotions and all of these things that tell us we're not good enough, we're worth it, you'll never amount to anything, all of these different things. Or you have to be this person, you have to be good enough, you have to do all of this. But, but the Bible says is that Christ set us free. So it says, God has called you to live a free life. Just don't take that freedom and do whatever you want with it and then destroy the freedom. So basically the people in Galatians, they're slave to all of these rules of religion. They're like, you have to do this, and you have to do that. In order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, and you have to do all of these different things, jump through all of these hoops to try to be good enough to get in the club. And basically, Paul's flipping the script on everybody, and he's going, listen, no, 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 no. Jesus paid the price for your freedom. See, once, what once enslaved you no longer enslaves you anymore. You don't have to work for your freedom. You don't have to work to be good enough. You don't have to do all of these things and measure up to this standard. He has already paid for that. And so he's saying, now I want you to take this freedom and I want you to do something with it. Not just go spend it frivolously, just saying, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. And this is the case in our life so many times. I mean, we have freedom in our own life, right? We have the freedom to eat whatever we want. Amen. Hallelujah. TJ talked about deep fried Oreos a few weeks and I'm still thinking about them. But we have the freedom to eat whatever we want. But if we use that freedom and we just begin to eat whatever we want, what does it do? That begins to enslave us 
See, our own freedom begins to put us in bondage. Or maybe it's financial freedom. We have the freedom to spend whatever we make. Actually, there is organizations that will give you more money than you make, and you have the freedom to spend it. But just because you have the freedom to spend that, what, it, what happens when you begin to spend freely and just do whatever you want? It actually puts you in bondage. See, many times our freedom we use to fulfill our selfish desires and it begins to put us back in the same bondage that Christ set us free from. And it's the selfishness that plagues over and over and over again. And the opposite of selfishness is actually selflessness. And selflessness is actually thinking of yourself less. And so many times it's selfishness that begins to enslave us and to put us in bondage. But Paul's actually saying, he actually goes on to give us the solution to help us grow in the freedom that we already have. And he says this, he says, rather use your freedom to serve one another in love. That is how freedom grows. He says, don't use your freedom to go do everything that you want to do and feed all of your selfish desires. Actually, if you want to see freedom grow in your life, if you want to see bondage continue to fall off, if you want to continue to have victory, then here's the key. He's saying, love one another, serve one another. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence, love others as you love yourself. That is a true act of freedom. Man, so basically what God's saying, what Paul is saying, is he's saying you have this freedom. See, God's given you this free gift of salvation. He set you free from all of the rules and religion and all of these hoops that you would have to jump through, and he's given you freedom through salvation. So we all have freedom, and what Paul's saying here is if you're saved... If you are free, if you've been saved, then saved people serve people. He's saying people that have gained freedom in their life, we need to take that freedom and we need to use it to serve other people, to love other people. And it's one of the values of our church, saved people serve people. And how many of you guys, it is not always easy to serve why? Because people are involved. <laughs> and people are messy. And people are hurting and they're broken. I'm broken. Like, if you've come to a church that you think everybody has it all together and you want perfect leaders and all of those things, I'll tell you right now, you are in the wrong place. Because we are a church full of imperfect people just showing up, hoping that we can love and serve one another and grow in our freedom. And so I don't get it all right all the time. And my prayer is that Coastal would be a place that embodies what Jesus saw his church to be. See, Jesus said that he didn't come for people that are well. He came for people that are sick. And my prayer is that we would be a church that is like a hospital 
where people come in and they're broken and they're hurting and difficult things are happening in their life. And us as people that have walked through difficult things and overcome, maybe still walking through it, that we can get up and we can be the nurses and the doctors and the hands and the feet that begin to welcome in the people that are hurting. But we know that hurting people hurt people. But what if we were the people that helped the hurting people that helped them start healing? See, saved people serve people. It's kind of like somebody that's been in addiction for a long time and they've been freed from that addiction. And they've gone through AA and all of these different things. And once they graduate from that, what do they become? A sponsor. Because they've been freed from addiction, now they go to begin to serve and to help other people be free. Because when we've been saved, when we've been free, we need to use that freedom to begin to serve other people. Save people, serve people. I know there was a time in my life recently where I had those moments, and we all have them, where we were, you just kind of go inside and you're just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to interact with a person. And we just kind of want to have this pity party at home on our couch watching Netflix all day. I mean, am I the only one? Thank you. So I was having one of those moments, and it was actually a day that we were supposed to go serve at an event. And I was like, I was thinking of all the excuses in my head. Look, this is honesty, okay? Just being real. I was thinking of all the ways that I could get out of it. And finally, in the end, I was just like, I need to put on my big girl pants and put on my smile, and I just need to go out and do this. And let me tell you something. When I got up and I began to serve these other people, when I began to do something, my attitude began to change. I was no longer inside, woe is me, all of those things. I was actually having life begin to come out of me in excitement because I was seeing people smiling and encouraged and all of those things. And even in my dark place, serving began to lift me out of that. And sometimes serving is the greatest antidote to what we're, what's going on inside of us because it gets us out of ourself and to begin to focus on others. So verse 16 goes on to say this. Basically, Paul's going to tell us, how do we live free? How do we do this? He says, my counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsion of flesh or of selfishness. In verse 16, it says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Basically, it's saying, listen, if you're struggling in life, if you're going through things, if you can't win and you feel like you're just constantly being defeated and messing up and all of those things, he says it's easy. Listen, the key to living right is loving right. If you want to begin to live right, if you want your life to begin to mean something, to make a difference, not to continue to fail and to fall down, if you want to live right, you have to love right. And here's what I mean by that. Number one is the first thing that we have to love is we have to love God. And I know that seems simple and it seems like, oh yeah, Sheila, we all know that. But it's easy to show up at church. But it's much more difficult to live this out in our everyday life. I remember when I was 19 years old, 
I had grown up in the church. My parents were youth pastors. I knew a whole lot about God, but I did not know God. I knew a whole lot about him, but yet I was still in the pit of shame and despair thinking I wasn't good enough, that I was always going to mess up, that I was never going to amount to anything. And there was all of these lies that the enemy continues to tell me. But you know what? At 19, I had an experience with God. And I didn't know how to live right. I didn't know how to love God, so I got connected with some people that did. And I began to follow after what they did. And as a church, that's why we provide connect groups and all of those different things. Because if you don't know how to do it right, get involved with some people that do. We also put things like this in your worship guides, the devotionals, every quarter. And the reason we do this is because we know it's hard sometimes to know where do I start in the Bible? What do I read? How do I begin a relationship with Jesus? The easy thing is all you have to do is open up to the today's date and start reading it. We make it simple, but relationships grow with time. And you have to begin to put God first in your life and love God and spend time with him in order to see that begin to cultivate and to develop and grow. Because the Bible says that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. But most of us think these thoughts that I'm having in my head, these I'm not good enough, I can never measure up, God's mad at me, all of those things, we think that that's God, but really it's the enemy trying to distract you from God is love. And if we can love God, things can begin to change. In Mark 12, 30 through 31, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's how we enter into relationships. Why not do that with God? The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So the first one is love God, and the second is just as important, and that's love people. That is love people. So you can't get the first one right without the second one. The Bible says in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. My question to you is, what does your love say? Can the people around you see it? What do they see when they interact with you? Do they see complaining? Do they see gossiping? Do they see nagging? Or do they see somebody that forgives well, that serves well, that loves well? Because my Bible says that my love for one another will prove my faith. So what does your faith look like? What does your love look like? Let me tell you guys something. I don't, I don't get this right all the time. I feel like the last couple messages that I've preached, God has given me topics that I'm not good at. And I'm like, Lord, why? Even just this, this past week, we were, TJ and I were on date night on Thursday night. And we were driving and we were going to Delray Beach and we were going to have dinner together and all of this nice stuff. We're driving up there and TJ gets a phone call. We're pretty close to being there. TJ gets a phone call from a guy 
And he goes, hey, man, where, what are you doing? And TJ's like, well, I'm driving to Delray. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, why? What, what's up? And the guy goes, well, I'm at the church property, and my truck got stuck in a hole. And I need, you, need somebody to come pull me out. And TJ goes, oh, man, no problem. We'll be there in just a little bit. We're, we're turning around right now. And I'm like, we are? So we turn around, and we're going, and TJ looks over at me after he turns around. He goes, Shayla, this is going to be an awesome story for your message this week on how we serve somebody. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. There's just one problem. That wasn't my response. My response was, oh, maybe we could call somebody else and have them go get a truck and bring. And then we keep driving. And he goes, I didn't want to go to Delray anyways. <laughs> and I was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> he goes, I just wanted to serve you. <laughs> I was like, I thought I was supposed to be the one giving the message this weekend. <laughs> but I don't get it right all the time. But if we can move ourselves to begin to love God and to love people, Things will begin to change in our life. Man, we got there and we were, somebody had already pulled him out. We were glad that we were able to do that. Serving people doesn't take away from your life, it adds to it. You know, at Coastal, we want to be a place that is not known for our size or our sermons or our singing or our strategy, or our buildings. But we want this place to be known as a place that when people step through these doors, they're saying that's the place that loves well. That's the place that serves well. That's the place that helped me when I was broken and beyond repair, and they loved me and they saw me when I walked through the door. In Ephesians 4.16, it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does. See, my dream is that we would be individuals that love so well. That, we, that people walk in and they notice that something is different here. That each one of us would use our unique gifts and talents and abilities to serve the church. And the church would become stronger and more effective because we do. That people would feel more loved and more valued and more seen because we showed up with what we had. You know, I was actually doing some research this week on serving. And I actually found an article in the Huffington Post that was written in December of 2016, and they had a bunch of statistics to, to back up everything that they were saying. And there was actually an article that said, 10 facts that prove helping others is the key to happiness. See, and here's where serving takes away depression, relational issues, all of these different things. So I'm actually going to read you a few of the things that they posted. Serving can give you a self-esteem boost. People who volunteer have been found to have a higher self-esteem and overall well-being. Experts ex explain that as feelings of social connectedness increase, so does your self-esteem. The benefits of volunteering also 
depend on your consistency. So the more regularly you volunteer, the more confidence you'll be able to cultivate. Number two, you'll have stronger friendships. When you help others, you give off positive vibes which can rub off on your peers and improve your friendships, according to a study of the National Institute of Health. Number three, you'll become a glass half full kind of person. Experts say that performing acts of kindness boosts your mood and ultimately makes you more optimistic and positive. Number four, an enriched sense of purpose. According to the survey by United Health Group, 96% of people who volunteered over the last 12 months said volunteering enriched their sense of purpose. Number five, it gives you a sense of inner peace. 78% of people who volunteered over a 12-month period said they felt that their charitable activities lowered their stress. They were more calm and peaceful than people who didn't participate in volunteer work. And serving, it doesn't just impact the people that you serve, it changes you. You want to feel a greater sense of purpose and self-worth and all of those different things, begin to serve somebody. Begin to serve in the local church. You know, I actually did my own kind of survey on Facebook. I mean, it's the greatest place where people give you opinions that you really don't want. So I went on Facebook and I said, how has volunteering in the local church changed your life in a positive way. Man, and it went right along with this survey. Actual people that are serving the church said, man, I have deeper relationships that I've never had before. I feel a greater sense of purpose. I feel like I'm inspiring other people, my kids, my family through my service. I feel like I'm making a difference. See, so many times we feel like this. What's this? Red solo cup. No, nobody goes with me on that. Christian, will you put this on the floor for me? Thank you. So many times in life, we feel like our individual contribution is a lot like this cup. This cup doesn't hold a lot of value. It's a disposable cup. You throw it away, it's cheap, it's plastic. And so many times we look at what we have in our own life and we think, oh, my contribution doesn't matter, what I have doesn't matter. Or we say, oh man, church, there's so many people that serve on that church, they don't, they don't need me. You know what, I don't have a lot of time. My time that I have to give, it isn't much. I'm too old. You don't know me, I've, I've messed up too many times. I don't, I don't have anything to bring, trust me. And on our own, we take our contributions and we think, well man, if I did something, if I showed up, if I brought what I have to give every time. It just doesn't feel like much.
take what we give and we just kind of make it cheap and we feel like it's overwhelming and it's not really going to make a difference. But just like this verse says, when we take what we have, no matter how insignificant it feels, and we begin to take what little we have, and we begin to unite it with other people, other people that don't feel like they have much to give either because you're not alone. And we look around and we think, I don't, I don't have the time. But when you take what you have and you bring it, and when you take even all of your mistakes and your mess-ups, and you say, well, maybe. When you take the little time that you might have and you take every little thing that you feel like your contribution might not be good enough, doesn't feel valuable enough, they have enough people. And when we take all of our cheap excuses and we begin to unite them with other people, This is what is called the body of Christ. And it says that when we take our every part, our little insignificant thing that we don't think matters much, it says it builds itself up. And when we all bring what we think isn't good enough together, it makes a huge impact. I think for too long, so many of us are, have been walking around with these excuses or these lies that we've been telling ourselves for so long. And we think that our contribution won't mean anything. Well, let me tell you something. The person that is walking through the door, that is broken and hurting, that feels like they're giving God the last chance, you being here was the platform that changed their life. See, our insignificant contributions are significant to the person that needs you. Your insignificant contribution means everything to a child that needs to step in here and feel loved and valued, and they can do that because we're standing on everybody's things that seem insignificant. And if we want to see our church grow in its effectiveness and we want to see our church reach more and more of hurting and broken and lost people, then our insignificant contributions need to continue to grow. And we need every single person to be part of that. And so many times, as we begin to take that contribution and we think well fine okay I'll bring I'll bring what little I have if you think it's going to make a difference and we begin to pour that out what actually begins to happen is God fills up that cup 
Because just like that survey, just like the research I did on Facebook, when you will unite yourself and you begin to serve, guess what happens? There is a greater sense of purpose because I know I am making a difference. There is a greater sense of relationship because I am doing this with other people that don't have it all together either. See, if we will just take the little that we don't think is going to matter, I'm going to tell you something. It matters to someone that is waiting on their freedom. And I don't want to let moments like this go by. Because the reality is, is that we need you. People need you. And as you guys leave service today, we actually have some tables sign up with different serving opportunities where you can come and be part of a team and bring what little you think you have and make a difference. And I hope that as you leave today, that you won't just walk by the table, you won't just be like, eh, next time. But that you'll actually begin to use that freedom to love and to serve other people and to make a difference in somebody else's life because it matters. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Father God, we just come before